This is part three. Jonah chapter two, verse one. Finally, we've we've we got Jonah to the boat, and now the the fishermen have just thrown him overboard, and we left him in the sea to rot for a while, and now we'll come back and pull him out. Jonah two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Okay, then he prayed. You know, he didn't pray when the storm showed up. He didn't pray when the fisherman says, hey, it's your fault we're here. Why does he wait until he's in the belly of the whale? He didn't pray when he, get, when he hit the water. I mean, I'd have been praying then. No, he waited until he got swallowed. In fact, we're going to see he waits until he's actually dead before he prays. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, verse 16. Isaiah 26, 16. It's unfortunate that a man waits until the last minute to begin to try to get God in on the, the solving the problem, but that's what we usually do. But don't let that hinder you. If that's when you turn to Him, go ahead and turn to Him then. Don't say you would be hypocritical to do it. No, it's been hypocritical all along. Turning to him is the opposite of hypocritical. That's your maker. <laughs> Isaiah twenty-six sixteen. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastising was upon them. That's what it's supposed to be for. When God punishes you, he intends to hear from you. Well, Jonah just about waited too late. But unbeknownst to him, God's going to use him as an example. So, he gets a, a pass here. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Jonah is going to be just like the nation of Israel. They're going to wait until it's just about too late before they turn to God. And many of them won't, but some will. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. Anytime you see that day or the day, it's usually referring to the tribulation or the Armageddon or Advent. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah. He gets saved out of the belly of the whale. <laughs> Literally, spewed out. Hosea chapter 5. Hosea. Hosea, H-O-S. Uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Uh, say Hosea, Joel, Amos. Yeah, that's what, what's before Hosea? Daniel. Daniel, Hosea. There we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody, somebody saved me here. <laughs> Hosea 5.15. I will go and return to my place. This is God talking. <laughs> It's like he's been looking at these people, waiting on them to respond. It's like a man waiting for a woman to get ready. You just wait and you wait and you wait. And then finally you say, well, I'm going to go do something I want to do because it's going to take forever. <laughs> That's what God's doing right here. He's waiting on somebody to repent. He said, they've not repented. I've been waiting. Tell you what I'll do. I'll return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Then he asked himself, I wonder when that'll be. I know when it'll be. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So, he's going to wait until affliction hits. 
and in the tribulation, affliction is going to hit. Yeah. James, James chapter 5. James 5, verse 13. James, of course, is doctrinally um, to Israel, the twelve tribes scattered abroad. James 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? They will be. <laughs> They'll all be afflicted. Jew or Gentile, they're going to all be afflicted. Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Won't be many songs sung. <laughs> but, he says, when you're afflicted, pray to God. Matter of fact, that's the only thing you can do. He's the only one big enough to actually change something. We might slap a band-aid on it, but that won't last very long. And if he can, if he'll fix something, then there won't be any afflicted. So you pray at that point. Jonah dies in this belly here of the, of the whale, um, so he prays here after his soul goes to hell. This is a wild thing. Jonah, you would think, is a prophet. He's not going to hell. <laughs> He's going to heaven. Uh, well, none of them went to heaven back in the Old Testament anyway. They went to Abraham's bosom. But he had, a, he had a job to do, and he had a testimony to give, so God sent him there. While his body's in the belly of the whale, um, he makes a trip. He actually dies, I believe. Now, there's people who take a different viewpoint on it, and you choose your own, but I believe it's pretty obvious. Um, in Matthew 12:39, the Bible talks about him being a, Jonas being a sign and that's exactly what he is. This is a sign because Jesus is going to do this very thing. He's going to die and go to hell. Now, they go for different reasons. That's true. <laughs> we can't stretch it any farther than that because Jonah has sin. Jesus Christ had none. He carried mine to deposit it. It wasn't his own. Um, he says in verse Jonah, one, ver, or Jonah 2, verse 6, he says... The earth with her bars was about me forever. Okay, he intends, or he thinks that he's going to be here forever. There's bars, and there are bars in hell. Uh, well, maybe that kind too. Uh, not the kind you drink at, but maybe. <laughs> Actual bars that keep you from getting out, like a prisoner. Um, he says in verse 6, Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption. Okay, so what does that mean? That means his body was beginning to deteriorate. He was dead. That's what dead people's bodies do, is they corrupt. There's one exception to that. Jesus Christ's body did not corrupt. In verse 2, he says that out of the belly of hell cried I. Whew. Well, either the Bible's true or it's not. So he must have been there. Um, in Acts, we find uh, the reference there that says that uh, his body would not see corruption. So there's a little difference there. You can't stretch a type all the way or it'll break because we're human. We taint any type that, we, <laughs> that we're supposed to picture. Uh, Jonah 2, look at verse 2. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. 
his flesh was corrupting and God did something. He revived him. He brought him back out. He brought him from hell back to the land of the living. Now, many people will tell you that doesn't mean that he died. That means that he thought he was dead. He was unconscious. Um, I didn't think about it, but you can look it up in any of the modern versions. I've got them all in the other room there. And they all change this because they don't want him brought back to life for some reason. I don't know why. They don't want him to have gone to hell. That's that's reserved for them. Nah, it takes too much time. Um, okay, so leave the Bible just the way it is when it says he went to hell? Let's just say yes, sir. <laughs> that's where he was. Jonah 2, look at verse 3. Jonah 2, verse 3. For thou hast cast me into the deep, now, this is where it's going to get deep. <laughs> no pun intended. This is a wild thing. Where is hell? Okay, center of the earth. Where is the deep? So how do you visit the deep to go to hell? It's odd. You would think you would die and immediately go down into the heart of the earth. For in our verse, he first goes through the deep, then into hell. It's like it's a portal or something. That you get in the deep and then you get an escort into hell with a demonic escort. In the midst of the seas and the floods compass me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. He says in verse 9, Jonah 2, verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Now, <laughs> think about it. He's being thankful here because he died and God brought him back to life. He's not being thankful that he finally got a comfortable spot in the belly. Oh, thank you, I found a couch over here. <laughs> no. He's being thankful that he's alive again. So he actually died. Um... He says he's going to use his voice. Well, in a minute, he's going to really be using it. When he gets to Nineveh, he's going to use it the way it was intended to be used. Uh, in verse 9 there, he's obviously still in the belly of the whale. So the um, situation did not change whether or not he was thankful. Now, that's us. Regardless of how bad things get, it's our choice whether or not we're thankful. You can find a way to be thankful. That's up to you 100%. If anybody had a good excuse to not be thankful, I'd say it's Jonah. I mean, that situation needs a little improvement. <laughs> Jonah 2, look at verse 3. Jonah 2, verse 3. For thou hadst cast me into the deep. In the midst of the seas the floods compassed uh, me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Okay. So he thinks he's outside of the sight of God. So he, in his mind, is in outer darkness because he can't see. Uh, look at Exodus, Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 16. 
there's a deep, this deep out there that's above us and below us. There's great waters that are above the earth and below the earth. And you can think of that as a portal. Man goes through that deep to get to heaven. And obviously from our passage, man goes through that deep to get to hell, even though it's in the heart of the earth. Exodus 15, verse 16. You know what this psalm or this uh, passage is. This is the psalm of Miriam, which is called the Song of Moses, uh, even though it was Miriam's song. Uh, <laughs> And there's a lot of prophecy in this passage. Verse 16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By uh, the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till uh, the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Okay. We know that the church of God is purchased with his own blood. So you're purchased. And one day you're going to heaven. That's your destiny. That's where you're destined to go. And he's going to do this right here. He's going to come and get you. And he's going to steal as a stone anything that would come after you. So the beast and the satanic beings that are in that deep can't take you to hell because God's taking you to heaven. When you get in that portal, it's a one-way portal to heaven. When an unaccompanied soul gets in that portal destined for hell, some evil beast takes him down there. Look at uh, Job 38. Job 38, verse 30. It says, The waters are hid as with a stone. The face of the deep is frozen. Okay, so this is where we get on this thing. This is, this is basically uh, Genesis chapter 1. I didn't give you all of it, and it goes way beyond Genesis 1. But <laughs> The universe is in the shape of a triangle. We've covered that before. Um, and originally, the earth was, there was no heavens plural. There was heaven singular in Genesis 1.1. And earth is called God's footstool. So he has a throne in his throne room, and he built him a footstool. Prop his feet on <laughs> Then he gave Lucifer the rule over this... Well, I should be up here. He gave Lucifer the rule over this thing. And he says he, he, uh, he made heavens plural. When he splits the heavens, there it's called firmament in Genesis 1. He says he's put... A, our verse that we just read in Job says the face of the deep is... Uh, what does it say? Frozen. Okay, so it's flat. That's the floor for his throne room. And that's what we do. See, this floor is supposed to be shiny, but it's not. But <laughs> people want a bright, shiny floor and marble and stuff like that. He's done that in the throne room. He's got a floor that is frozen. Job 41. Job 41, verse 31. Now he's going to tell you what's beneath the surface or beneath the face of the deep. Job 41, of course, this is Leviathan, verse 31. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. Okay, so it's boiling. This is the weirdest thing. It's boiling down here, but it's ice up here. <laughs> like a pot. He maketh the sea. See, it's also called sea or deep. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. 
He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. That is, it's like phosphorus. You can see the trail of light that twinkles behind him. Upon the earth uh, there is not his like, who is, who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. Okay, so he must be above all things we would consider high. So that would be the deep that's above us. Uh, he is the king over all the children of pride. Now, a lot of people will try to spiritualize those things, but I say, unless there's a need to, don't do it. I mean, you can always make a spiritual application, sure, but always take the literal, literal as God wrote it. Um, you'll be in less trouble when you get to heaven that way. <laughs> Just say, you wrote those words, and I thought it meant those words. <laughs> I'd rather say that. Genesis 69, or not Genesis, Psalm 69. Yeah, fine. Find Genesis 69. <laughs> Psalm 69, verse 1. Psalm 69, verse 1 and 2. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. Now, we've never seen that. If you jump in the tub, the water doesn't come to your soul. It comes to your flesh. <laughs> well, just like Jonah, it came to the soul. Okay, when you come out of your body, it's your soul that something's going to affect. And so then when you leave your body and enter the deep, wherever it is right here, that is your soul is going to touch that deep. Uh, for the waters are come unto my soul. I sink in the deep mire where there is none, uh, where there is no standing. I'm come in unto the deep waters where the floods overflow me. It sounds real similar to what Jonah's going to tell us. Look at verse 14. Uh, Psalm 69, 14. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the uh, water flood overflow me. Don't say that fast ten times. Neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Notice the order. The deep, the deep, the sea, mire swallowing me up, then the pit swallows him. So you go through the deep first, and then you enter the pit. Well, I don't, and hopefully y'all don't, but... Somebody that's not saved us. Gen uh, Psalms 74. Psalm 74, verse 14. Leviathan's playing around up there in that deep, and this is what God has done in the past and will do again in the future. Psalm 74, 14. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. That's manna. He busted up one of Satan's heads, and that became manna for the children of Israel. It's going to happen again in the tribulation. Psalms 104. Psalms 104, verse 16. This is a long passage. Oh, let's see if I can get you right down. 
he's basically just telling you stuff you already know, and then he tells you something you don't. <laughs> the, uh, Psalms 104, verse 16. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. That's good. The cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests. That's a good thing. As for the stock, uh, stork, the fir, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are uh, a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appoints the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. Okay. Beasts creep out at night. At night it gets creepy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> now, this deep right here is called the outer darkness. And in that outer darkness are some creatures, and they're creepy, and they creep out at night. And we'll keep reading. The young lions roar after their prey. Now, what Satan referred to it as a lion. He says he's a lion that's seeking to devour you. So he's up in there. And seek their meat from God. They seek their meat from God. Yeah, you'll find, uh, I, I can't run all those references, but in Ezekiel you'll find that God has given the unclean fowl of the air, he makes them a banquet of all of these people he's killed at Armageddon. He says, come eat it, that's for you. Mm. So he feeds them. Verse 22, the sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor unto the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is uh, this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. And that's what the Antichrist is called, the beast of Revelation. Okay, so the beast is up there and he's got some buddies up there with him. Psalms 148, verse 4. Psalms 148, verse 4. It says, Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. There's the deep. That's not water on this earth. That's water that's above the heavens, just like it says. Okay. <laughs> the Bible's pretty simple. In spots. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27, verse 1. Isaiah 27, 1. In that day the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Okay, that's the devil, and he's in that sea, and it ain't the Pacific or whatever those other ones are. <laughs> it's the deep, sometimes called the sea. Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, verse 2. Isaiah 43, 2. Here is the... This gives you a sigh of relief after all the gory details we've read. <laughs> if you're a Christian, when you die, you get a, uh, an armed patrol 
that comes to get you and safely carry you out. Isaiah 43, 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Um, I don't have time to go through it all. I should have drawn it. Um, I think this. I think you have earth. Well, let's do it here. I think you've got the throne room. That's the third heaven. Then you've got the second heaven, which would be outer space, and the first heaven is our atmosphere. Earth, and inside of earth is hell. Then you have the deep. Now, we look at it and we would say that they're, they're split up. There's a deep up there and a deep down here. But that's because we're seeing it from our viewpoint. From God's viewpoint, it's like a fishbowl. And he's hollowed out a middle that has an air pocket. And so for him, he's seeing the whole thing as a complete deep. We see it as two sections. And then I believe below it is the lake of fire. Jesus Christ's feet, he says they, they, they in Revelation 1, they appeared as though they were burnished with uh, burnished brass, as they'd burned in a fire. The universe is his clothes. God stands here and he's standing on the fire. It's exactly what Lucifer was said. He walked up and down the stones of fire, the coals of fire or something like that in Ezekiel 28. Mm -hmm. Giving you too much information, I know. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, 9. Isaiah 51, 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generation of old, art, th uh, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Okay. When did he wound the dragon? We've already read it. He busted his head and gave him manna out of it. Okay, that's when that happened. Verse 10. Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the, uh, the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Now, yes, that did happen when they left Egypt. There was a path. There's a road right there that he already knew about, and he led them right to it. And then he split the, the water open. But it, that's a picture of something much bigger that he goes up and down through. Verse 11. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Isn't that what we're doing? You're going to heaven called Zion, Mount Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and mourning shall flee away. I, even I, am he that comforteth you, who... Uh, who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that should die and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker that stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth and hath uh, feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. The oppressor, yeah, you could say it was man, you could say it was Pharaoh, but Pharaoh is supposed to be a type of the Antichrist all the way through the Bible. These are just types. Everything we see in this world right here has a type of something that's much more scary in the spirit world. Verse 14. Uh, the captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed and that he should not die in the pit. 
nor that his bread should fail. There's that pit. You notice the connection. It's the deep, a path through the deep. Somebody who's not on his team ends up going through the deep to the pit. There's an order to that thing, and I've never seen it before, but till recently. It's, I had always assumed before that a man dies, and for us, we leave the body and we're in heaven. Well, there's a process to that. I think Jesus comes and gets you or sends somebody to get you to ferry you out safely. The same with a lost man. He dies and his father comes to get him, the devil, and he delivers him to the pit. Hmm. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Okay, the king has already been upgraded. He was originally a prince in verse 1, but now we're coming right to the end of the story, verse 12. So now he is a king of Tyrus. Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, okay, he's going to give him all those stones. Uh, 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 down at the end of the verse um, that was perfect uh, thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mount of God thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire okay that's I believe below where I was saying the lake of fire, I think that's where God stands. His feet stand there. Um, and so he says here that uh, he, he was the anointed cherub, and God set him that way. We talked about this morning. He anointed him as a cherub. That is, that was his, his um, bodyguards, his five bodyguards. <laughs> and one of them covered the top. And so Lucifer was the top anointed cherub that covers. Um, and we'll use that again in a little bit. Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3, verse 15. Habakkuk 3, 15. Uh, H-A-B is the, uh, is the abbreviation. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Habakkuk. Uh, what comes before it? I always start at the book and go forward. <laughs> Nahum. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Yeah. He says, Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. Okay, this is what God's going to do. When he comes down and when we come down, we're coming down. He says we're going to be on white horses. They're going to come out of the sky. <laughs> That's going to be a wild thing. Those horses are supernatural horses. I mean, they'll be physical too, but they're going to be supernatural. And they're going to walk through that sea, just like the children of Israel did. When they walked through it, it opened up. When uh, Joshua came through, he says, you just step your feet in the water and it'll open up, and that's what it did. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. 
the Bible is um, more literal than we give it credit for. People try to make this some sort of a thing about your understanding and you know put something on it. No, he means it just the way he says it. First Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. Remember the deep has the face of the deep is frozen. And it's dark up there. So how are we going to see through up to the throne room of God? You're not. (laughs) You can get you a telescope and you can see through it very darkly. You can't make it out. Now what's going on right now is uh, the northern lights. And that's a wild thing if you ever see the northern lights. What you're seeing when you see the northern lights is you're seeing the clothing of God. That is, he wears the universe as his garment. In Hebrews 1, he says he's going to fold, the, fold it all up as a garment. So you're seeing it, but you're not seeing it from the outside. You're seeing it from the inside, because we're inside that garment. Uh, Revelation, Revelation 4. Revelation 4, verse 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Okay, so he says there, when you get into the throne room of God, the floor is is like crystal, a sea of glass. That's the top of the deep. And he's... I wonder why he glassed it out. He blocked it all out for a reason. Because the devil has to come up there. He makes it hard on him. You know, in Job, you found out, if you've read the book of Job, you know he says there's a time that Satan is supposed to appear before God and give account. And he does. He's still doing that. But he doesn't make it easy. He can't come in the front door. God says in, uh, where's that passage? In um, John, is it 14? Uh, I'm I'm the door. Yeah, the thief cometh. Um, where is it? That's the, the yeah. John 10. John 10. Let's turn there. Yeah. Let's just read the book of John real quick, and then we'll know where it is. <laughs> John 10. Uh-huh. Yes. 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 Verily, uh, ten one, John ten one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not in by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Who's the thief? He's told you who he was from the beginning, and a robber. That's the devil. And he's supposed to appear, but he can't come in the door. He's got to climb up some other way. Yes. Yes. Yep. And so when he comes in, he's got to come in through one of the windows. We know there's windows in heaven because that's what he opened up in Noah's day to give the flood. Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. This is what I get for trying to cover two verses at once. 
<laughs> Revelation 12:7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels. Okay, so there's uh, another force. There's an opposing force to righteousness, and it's up there in that waters, the great deep up there. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more for them. Where? In heaven. That's above us. Uh, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice, in, uh, voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation and strength, and the, uh, now is come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down. You know who that is? That's the devil. Which accuseth them before our God day and night. All right, so that's what's going on, and that's where Jonah is. He's been tossed into the sea, and then that sea wasn't the deep because that one didn't come to his soul. It wasn't until he got into the belly of the whale that he says, your billows have come and your waves and all that deep and stuff. And he says he's in the belly of hell, not the belly of the whale. Jonah 2, verse 4. Jonah 2, verse 4. And we don't have... 43... Yeah, we can handle this. Uh, Jonah 2, verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again I will look again toward thy holy temple. Now, <laughs> from the belly of a whale, really, is he going to look over at Jerusalem at the temple? <laughs> no, it's a different temple. And he's in such a uh, position now where he could probably see it. Now, let's find the one he's talking about. Habakkuk. 2 verse 20 it says but the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him okay so that's his real temple the throne room when, um, when Moses was given the pattern to make this stuff that they had in the furniture and all the, the tabernacle and everything in the wilderness God took him up to heaven and said look at the real thing and now I want you to make something similar for earth. So that's the, the real temple is up in heaven. Psalms chapter 11, verse 4. Psalms 11, verse 4. People try to say that, um, that God is everywhere and in everything and we're all, we're all a little piece of God and all that. <laughs> Not so. Look at this verse. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. This ain't heaven. I'm sorry, but if this is your idea of heaven, you've got some learning to do. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. There's, he's seeing into heaven. There's a temple up there. Um, look at verse 6. Isaiah 60. Did I tell you the right place? I, no, I didn't. 
Isaiah 66. Let's go to verse 1. Isaiah 66, 1. Isaiah 66, 1. This gives you a perspective of... We think, you know, because down here we have ideas of what is big and, you know, what is... It's tiny compared to God's perspective. <laughs> he says in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? If I put my feet on the earth, that's my footstool. How would you build me a house on earth? <laughs> okay, he's got one, but it wouldn't fit on earth. It's the true one. That's the temple he's talking about. Look at verse 6. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense unto his enemies. He's so big, and we're so small, we don't realize that, but we are, that all he has to do is stick his head out the window up there and roar. That's what he calls it, like a lion. He roars. And when he does, it discomforts his enemies. <laughs> And one day he's going to do it. Back to Jonah, look at verse 7. Jonah 2, verse 7. Jonah 2, verse 7. This temple is not one on earth because this is where your prayers go. Regardless of where you are, your prayers end up somewhere. They end up in God's temple. Jonah 2, verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. That's where your prayers end up. When you pray, the Holy, the holy Spirit comes in and uh, puts it through Google Translate <laughs> and says, he said that, but he really didn't mean that. This is what he really wants. <laughs> and then it goes into the throne room, and it's called God's holy temple. Um, Jonah 2, verse 5. Mm, well, I thought we could finish. Okay, we'll see. Jonah 2, verse 5. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Nowadays, kids would love that. They love weeds. So it, they just wrap it all around. <laughs> It tells you God's connotation of it. Weed, no weed is a good thing. You try to work in the yard, you can't stand weeds. So why would you want something that is called weed? I mean, that, that's the right perspective on it. It's trash. It's junk. You want to get rid of it. <laughs> he says that this thing happened and it was even to his soul, the soul. Now, the soul is the inside of you. There's an odd thing that happens when you get into it in the Old Testament. It says, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Then in Leviticus, he says, if a soul touch an unclean thing, he'll be unclean until the even. Well, your soul can't touch something. Your flesh can. But if your flesh touches it, it contaminates the soul. So in the New Testament, when you get saved, you have the opportunity for God to give you, well, this is what happens at salvation. He gives you what's called a circumcision not made with hands. He cuts free the soul from the flesh. 
That's why you can touch something, you can do something in the flesh that's not right, that's sinful. And it doesn't change your soul's destiny because it's not connected to that flesh. And here, in the Old Testament, they didn't get that option. That's eternal security, but they didn't have it back then. He says, um, look at verse 3, Jonah 2, verse 3. He said, The floods compassed me about, all thy bellows and thy waves passed over me. There's something about um, this deep that is a punishment in and of itself. For we're not a, a creature that was made for that thing up there. That, that's Leviathan and that's um, satanic beings playing that thing. That's not our playground. Ours is earth. He says, earth is given to the sons of men. Nothing else. So I don't even want to get in a spaceship and go see anything else. Somebody else can play with that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at verse 6, Jonah 2, 6. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. That is, he knew that he had died, and he knew he woke up in hell. And he says, there's bars down there that you can't get out. He knew his flesh was corrupting. And he says, I'm thankful God brought me out of it. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1 verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and he's amen in himself, and have the keys of hell and of death. Why does he need those keys? Because there's a locking bar and gate down there. And when you go in, the devil locks it, and you can't get out unless somebody with the key could let you out. Matthew chapter 16 Matthew 16, verse 18. This is the Catholics love this verse. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the explanation of it. I'm just going to notice one little thing in here. Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, pointing at himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So hell has gates. And they can't prevail against him because he's got the key. So the gate means nothing to him. He just doesn't lock it. We've been getting locked in at our shop. The key doesn't work. You can count on it. He's the key. He's also the door. So he can just bust right through that thing. Jonah 2, verse 6. Jonah 2, verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou uh, broughtest up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Where is this hell? This hell is in the heart of the earth. It's in the center of this globe that we're on. It's called the bottomless pit. Um, and it's a, a no-gravity place that you'll just spin and fall and fall and fall forever. Amos, well, not forever, because hell eventually goes away, but Amos chapter 9. 
Amos 9, verse 2. Amos 9, verse 2. Here's how you can prove where hell is. Though they dig into hell. So wherever it is, if you had a big enough shovel, you could dig down into it. Though thou dig into hell, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 40. 12, 40. Matthew 12, 40. We saw Jonah. He said, I was in the belly of hell. So he's supposed to be the picture. So let's see it. Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's where you would have to dig down to to find hell, the heart of the earth. Um. Ephesians 4, verse 9. These are all the verses on identifying where hell is. We talk about it, or you should. You're witnessing somebody. So you need to know the verses on it. You need to be able to tell them where it really is and that it's a literal place. The Bible's got a lot to say about it. Ephesians 4, verse 9. Now uh, that he ascended, talking about Jesus, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. That's right. He had to go down there because that's where my sins belong. And he had my sins. So he went down there and deposited them where sins go, hell. That's good. So I don't have to pay for them. They're being paid for right now. Just like a lost person is going to pay for his own sins because he hadn't let go of them. Let Jesus have them. Um, Revelation uh, 20. Revelation 20, verse 1. We saw Jesus had the key to death and hell, hell and death, whatever it is. <laughs> it's, it's rendered both ways in the Bible. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. At this point, I think God has changed the locks. <laughs> he says, instead of me carrying the key, now I've given it off to the repairman that changed out the locks. <laughs> and then the devil's going to be bound for a thousand years. But that's just a short-term thing. Uh, God wants to have one last grudge match with him before he's uh, relegated to the lake of fire. Um, okay, one more passage and we're done. Everybody sign sigh of relief. <laughs> 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 6. First Peter 4, verse 6. This really is probably going to open up a can of worms. But <laughs> it says, uh, For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Huh? <laughs> Got to the graveyard and start preaching to people? <laughs> no. Jesus Christ did. He went down to Abraham's bosom and he did some preaching. Why? 
he says, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So what you have in the Old Testament, there's a totally different system. They didn't go to heaven. They didn't have eternal security. Jesus Christ was the final payment, the Lamb of God that takes away sin of the world. Before it was just in remission. Well, guess what? It came back because Jesus Christ had the sin of the world on him. So it's now here again. The remission is no longer in remission. So he goes down to Abraham's bosom and he preaches. And what's he preach? He preaches the gospel just like you would to a man in the flesh. And that's what he says. So they could be judged according to men in the flesh. So what do we do? We open the word of God and let it judge a man in the flesh. Accept Christ's payment or you go make your own. <laughs> and that's God's judgment according to his word. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did to those Old Testament saints in Abraham's bosom. He went down there and he preached. And, I mean, I guess they had the possibility to turn him down, but I don't think anybody would. <laughs> I mean, it's very obvious to them that it, he means what he says. But he says, but live according to God in the Spirit. So then he led captivity captive and took them out. Matter of fact, I say he took the whole Abraham's bosom is gone. It's out now. I say there's an island down there. One side of the island is called Abraham's bosom. The other side is called paradise. One is for Jews and one is for Gentiles. It went to heaven, Paul says. He saw paradise. That's where heaven was in the third heaven. And that thing is going to come back down. In the tribulation, they'll be back in it. There will be Abraham's bosom and paradise in the heart of the earth again because they'll cry from under the altar. I've given you too much now, but... Okay, that'll do it for tonight. Jonah, we're in Jonah chapter 2. This is Jonah part 4. Moving right along. Jonah 2, we're verse 7. Jonah 2, 7. This is uh, chapter 2 is his recount of his time in the, in the water and in the well. Jonah 2, verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto, unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now that's a good verse to know right there. Uh, they that observe lying vanities. Didn't say they came up with it, but they observed the lying vanities. And that's why we have what's called a TV. Nothing but lying vanities pumped at you nonstop. And you know what you do? You observe it. You watch it. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I've said this before. <clears throat> a sacrifice costs you something. <laughs> it's something you give. And here he's giving a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's being thankful when there's no reason and it's not your natural inclination to be thankful. That's, that's when it really counts. I will pay that I have owed, uh, I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. If you go back up to verse 6, he says, I went down to the bottom of the mountains. This is when he's in the well. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Obviously he died. Yet hast thou brought up, that is the direction, up, my life from corruption. And it's not from the bottom of the sea. It's up from corruption. His body had actually began to deteriorate, corrupt. O oh Lord my God. 
He says in verse 9 something very significant. Now, you can get lots of spiritual truths out of this whole chapter, and you'll figure that out. You and the Holy Spirit will figure that out. And you can adapt those, and they may not be the same for everybody, but God will make it plain to you what your spiritual truth is. But I'm just going to give you some doctrinal truths that are just facts. He says, salvation is of the Lord. Okay? End of verse 9. That's an interesting phrase. He's a Jew, and he's saying salvation's of the Lord. God is only the God of Israel at this time as a nation. So he's saying something that is, uh, is worldwide knowledge at the time. Jesus has the same message. Look at it in John 4, verse 22. He's talking to the woman at the well. She's a half-breed. She's sitting on the fence. <laughs> John 4:22. Jesus says, You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. We, who's the we? In the context, the we is Jews. For salvation is of the Jews. Hmm. So God must be a Jew. Because Job said, or not Job. <laughs> I've been working nonstop for three days straight. There's no telling what I'm going to say tonight. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah is saying that the salvation is of the Lord. That's God the Father. Jesus says salvation's of the Jews. So God must be a Jew. Let's see if there's any more evidence for it. First Timothy three. First Timothy three sixteen, verse most people know. First Timothy three sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Well, when Jesus showed up he was a Jew. God was manifest in the flesh. Uh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. That's something different than he was. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. In Romans 1, 3, he says this, Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, Jewish again, according to the flesh. That is, physically. Not spiritually, physically. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, I know I'm moving fast, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says, For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. So he showed up doing signs, wonders, and miracles, because that's what Jews require. Had he been a Gentile coming to the Gentiles, he would come as a philosopher, spewing wisdom. Now, he did have wisdom, but he showed the miracles and the signs and the wonders because that's what his nation, the Jews, were after. Galatians 2.15, Galatians 2.15, Paul speaking here. He says, we, we know who Paul is, of the tribe of Benjamin, we who are, are uh, Jews by nature, that is, born Jews, and not sinners of the Gentiles. <laughs> no, he was... He was of sinners of the Jews. <laughs> There's sinners on both sides, believe me. <laughs> but he's talking about pagan versus religious sinners. Because there's religious sinners just as bad as pagan sinners. Um, now, we understand this is going to open up a whole can of worms, and I'll, I'll work through it a little bit. But there's three classifications that you come across in the Bible. You know there's three races. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three boys that got off the ark. Those are the three races. Then 
God further defines it, the Bible does, I guess it's Paul, there's uh, now a different three, Jew, Gentile, or Church of God. It's different categories. And each of those categories have specifics to them. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verse 30. And who is talking here? Uh, uh, it's uh, Simeon? Yeah. Simeon. Luke 2, verse 30. He says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Talking about Jesus. He's the salvation. Now, they, when they said salvation, they're talking about it in a different light. The salvation the Jew was looking for was his nation to, first of all, come back together as a nation. They're scattered. And to be in a ruling position, nation number one in the world. Rome held it for a long time. Uh, lots of empires have held it. And uh, what we saw in John was he said that salvation was of the Jews. Jesus was the salvation that Simeon saw. So he was supposed to bring that nation back together and put them on top. But it didn't happen. <laughs> that was their fault. They refused it. He's still going to do it. But he's not going to give them a choice the next time around. <laughs> they had a choice the first time around. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. First Corinthians 10, verse 32. Here's our three classifications, and these change with time. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Okay, so right now we can say the Jew is an unsaved, hereditary Jew. Gentile is unsaved, non-Jew. And church of God is anyone who is saved. Okay, flip that thing. If it was in the Old Testament time, there would be no church of God. <laughs> that body hadn't come. Or you would combine it with the Jew. So then the Gentile would be the unsaved, and the Jew would be the saved, just like Jesus is saying salvation is of the Jew. But it's a different type of salvation than what we think of as going to heaven. After we're gone, and you're in the tribulation, not us, but when somebody is in the tribulation time period, I hope no, none of us are here. <laughs> if you're in the tribulation time period, the Jew is the saved class. Different type of salvation, but they'll inherit the earth, like he says in Matthew 5. The Gentile is the heathen. They're the ones persecuting the Jew, the whole world. And the church of God is gone. <laughs> then in the tribulation it flip, or in the millennium it flips again the Jew of course is already he's saved he's finally got what he was longing for all these years the Gentile is the nations that they're reaching out to the Gentiles will be under the Jew and the Jews will be responsible for the Gentiles the church of God will be the ruling class with Jesus Christ if you suffer with me you also reign with me in the millennium, going to flip or after the millennium, I told you there's no telling what I'll say tonight. <laughs> in eternity, the Gentile—that's the time of the Gentiles. Now, there's two definitions. Man, I'm talking too much. 
There's two definitions. I like to do more Bible than talk. There's two definitions of the time of the Gentiles. Usually the time of the Gentiles is when the Gentiles are persecuting the Jew. But there's going to be a time that changes. And that'll be in eternity when the Jews continue to multiply. He says the increase of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Okay, well, there's going to be 12 Gentile nations. Okay, they're going to continue to multiply and they'll be natural born, sanctified, and sinless at that point. Do what? 12 Gentile nations. Mm-hmm. She liked that one. <laughs> yeah, the 12 Gentile nations. Because each tribe, each of the 12 tribes becomes responsible for one uh, one nation of the Gentiles. I've got a whole lesson on that somewhere. That's what the gates are for. And every year, people try to tell you there's that time is done away with. Time is not ever done away with. There's always time. I know that's a concept nobody teaches but me, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> when he says in Revelation, there will be time no more, what he's referring to is there's no more time to repent. Time no more. But there's always going to be time because you find that they have to always come up for the Feast of Tabernacles. If you're going to observe a feast, you have to keep track of time. Even in eternity? In eternity, yes. And they'll each come through the gate that the tribe of Israel is um, mentoring for that Jew, or Gentile. Now that we're all confused, but anyway. <laughs> Galatians 2, look at verse 14. Galatians 2, 14. Galatians 2, 14. You know, Galatians is that tough book where Paul and Peter have a powwow. He says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, okay, that's one classification, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, um, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. A lot of Jew and Gentile thing in there. In essence, Paul's coming in there and saying, I'm a Jew too, but I'm living as a Gentile because I'm ministering to the Gentiles. You've got Gentiles in the congregation, but you're all of a sudden wanting to segregate as just Jew because you like the Jew party. <laughs> and he says that's not right. Well, we just read that you don't give offense to either Jew or Gentile. Now, there's two sides of that. Peter has given offense to Jew or Gentile. But now Paul's going to do it too. He's going to come in and offend a Jew, Peter. <laughs> so offense always should be viewed from God's point of view. That is offense as in offending the truth. That's how he means don't offend them. He doesn't mean don't hurt their feelings. If your feelings get hurt by the truth, then sorry, you're wrong. So always line up with the truth, and if that offends somebody, that's okay, to a degree. <laughs> we, don't, we don't offend people just for the fun of offending people, but you know what I mean. In the Old Testament, the idea of salvation is always of the Jew, and that is for ruling 
this whole Bible is about a kingdom. It always has been. It's all, everything's about power. Even the heathen right now recognize that. It's about power, and they'll do whatever they can to get into power. But it's always been that way. Uh, in the Bible, there's, there's no magic thing about a cross. <laughs> I'm going to cover this here because it's very corrupted nowadays. People will tell you that in the New Testament, we know about that cross that Jesus died on, and that's our salvation. Well, maybe, maybe not. His blood is the salvation, but okay. And they'll say that in the Old Testament, there wasn't a cross because Jesus hadn't come and been born and died and all that, but they looked forward to it. They, they saw the lamb being slain, and so they looked forward to the cross, and we look backward to the cross. No, nobody had an idea what a cross was. That was Roman. That was not even part of the, vo the vocabulary. Now it was, he said, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree, because now you've been, um, you've been butchered by a pagan. And so that's a curse. Uh, look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 21. We'll take the standard teaching that the Jews look forward to the cross and see how much they were looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm sounding real sarcastic, I, I know, but until you... <laughs> I don't mean it the way it sounds. It, everybody has to be taught, and it takes many times through the Bible before things start to connect. That's okay. And I'm just... I'm being silly when I'm being sarcastic. Matthew 16:21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Okay, he's telling them about his death. I thought the Jews are looking forward to this. Verse 22, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. <laughs> he's not looking forward to it, is he? Saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, it shall not be unto thee. Okay, they were not looking forward to it. They didn't have a clue about it. If his disciples didn't look forward to it, then you know the general public didn't either. And these are the disciples he's trying to explain it to. And they didn't get it. Um, the other major thing that you have to confront about the difference in New Testament and or church age salvation and Old Testament salvation is our salvation is being put into Christ to become one flesh with Christ. Nobody else had that option, and nobody will after us. It's one body. Now, that body is only available right now. Once it fills up, it's done. Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 39. When the Old Testament saints died, they didn't say... Oh, you're going to heaven. You're going to go walk on those streets of gold and you're going to play a big golden harp. And <laughs> they didn't have that connotation in their brain. Luke 23:39. this is the two thieves. And one of the malefactors which, was, uh, which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. What did he mean by salvation? He didn't mean die and go to heaven. 
<laughs> Die and go to heaven and take us too. No, he meant come down from the cross and live on the earth. That was the normal understanding of salvation. But the other answered rebuking him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now that's advanced revelation for a person right there. He recognized Jesus had a kingdom and it wasn't earthly. He, he got something there. 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily uh, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Not in heaven. In paradise. So let's find out where that is. Um, look at uh, Luke 16. Go back to Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 22. This is not a parable here. This is an actual account that Jesus is giving. Anytime Jesus gives a parable, he uses it generic. A, a man, you know, somebody from this place, a rich person. Here he's giving names, Lazarus and Abraham. and So that's a real story. Luke 16:22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto, not heaven, Abraham's bosom. There's those angels taking somebody. <laughs> we talked about that last week. I think that happens when you die too. The angels come and take you. Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Okay, so wherever this Abraham's bosom is, it's in with sight, within sight of hell. They can see each other. So in the heart of the earth at this time is also paradise and Abraham's bosom. And um, that doesn't mean that it's in hell, but it's in the same center of the earth somewhere. Now that's not there anymore, and we'll go through it in a minute. Genesis 25, Genesis 25, verse 17. Genesis 25, 17. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, a hundred and thirty and seven years. And he gave up the ghost and died. And what happened to him? He was gathered unto his people. So wherever his people were is where he went. Um, who's his father? His, who's Ishmael's father? Abraham, Abraham right. So you would think that means he goes to Abraham's bosom, but I don't think so. I think he goes to paradise. I know I'm pulling at straws here, but I think there's a separation because you'll find the line is only who God picks as the descendant of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes. Even though he could have had brothers and Ishmael's a brother and... Um, Isaac and Ishmael, uh, uh, Joseph and what's his brother? Um, Esau. Esau. Jacob and Esau. I told you it's going to be wild tonight. There's no telling what I'm saying. <laughs> Genesis 49. Watch another 
another time it happens. Genesis forty nine thirty three. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, so you're supposed to be handing out commands, you're supposed to be yelling and laying down the law all the way up till the day you die. <laughs> commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Now his people has been defined by God. The blessing passes down, so that's defining who those people are, the, the line that God chooses. So his people there is not Esau. His people is Isaac, Abraham. So they go to wherever their people are. Um, look at it in Numbers 20. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's we'll get to that later. Numbers 20 verse 24. It says Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against the word uh against my word at the water of Meribah. So there he's saying he's going to die. And after he dies, he's gathering to his people. So wherever the Israelites go to after they die, is where he's going. Meribah. Um, look at verse 26. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eliezer his son. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people. There it is again. It's always the same phrase that keeps repeating. Not go to heaven. <laughs> not go be with Jesus. That's what we're promised. But not in the Old Testament. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, here's Moses. Deuteronomy 32, verse 50. And die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, as Aaron, thy brother, died in the mount world and was gathered unto his people. <laughs> That's what they all knew about. It was, it was understood. They were going to be gathered to their people. The Indians do the same thing. We're going to die and we're going to go to our happy hunting ground. You know, it's not going to be anybody but our tribe there and we're going to have all the deer we can kill. And <laughs> The Muslims do a spin on it. Old Testament saints went to the place that the Bible tells us about, gathered to their people. Then Christ, after his crucifixion, descends into wherever that place is and tells them, hey, good news, I'm here to give an invitation. <laughs> the final payment has been paid. Your sins no longer have to be in remission. You're worrying about them coming back. I've got redemption. Would you like some? And, of course, they all say, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Who would turn that down? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a perfect altar call there. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Ephesians 4, verse 8. He says... 
Um, wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Okay, so the cap, uh, captivity that he led captive, that is, he grabbed something and left with it. Well, that's the people. That's paradise. In Abraham's bosom, he grabbed it and left the earth with it. Because now when a person dies, he doesn't go to Abraham's bosom and he doesn't get gathered to his people. He goes directly to hell or to heaven. There's no, there's no other place for him to go. Um, let's find paradise real quick. Uh, where is it? Is it 1 Corinthians 14 or 15 or something? 15. Okay, what I'm looking for is um, caught to the third heaven. Uh, is it? I am super prepared, prepared tonight. <laughs> Maybe it's second Yeah. Yeah, Second Corinthians twelve. Okay. Second Corinthians twelve verse two. I knew a man in Christ about fourteen years ago, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell. Um, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Okay, that's heaven. Drop down to verse four, let's see what they call heaven. How that he was caught up into paradise. Okay, there it is now. It's no longer in the heart of the earth. It's up there in heaven, in the third heaven. It won't stay there. It'll come back during the tribulation because the souls will be under the altar asking God to deliver them. So that place will be repopulated during the tribulation because it'll go back to the system that existed in the Old Testament. Um... Go to Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38, verse 9. To me, this is the definitive statement in the Old Testament to tell you um, the mindset of what they were thinking of as far as um, salvation and um, what they were looking forward to. Isaiah 38, verse 9. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am, departed, I am deprived of the residue of my years. That's a fancy, a lot of wording to say I'm about to die. <laughs> Verse 11. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, not in heaven, in the land of the living, He's expecting to see him show back up in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. 
So he's expecting one day that Christ, or not Christ there, but the Lord would be on earth ruling the nation. And that's what he was looking forward to. And he was sad because he knew he was going to die. And he, he didn't have any more understanding than that. Um, the disciples still had the same train of thought. When Jesus came, their train of thought is still, he came to his own. He's ready to liberate Israel. In Acts 1, Acts 1 verse 6. He says, Acts 1, 6. When uh, they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? This is a good verse to know. I mean, they all are. <laughs> Can't find a bad verse to know. <laughs> but this one, he's saying, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That is, Israel's expecting to have a kingdom. And he says, it's not in your power to know or my power to know. Let's get on to something that's worth talking about. <laughs> now, everybody will agree that, that he did not restore the kingdom at that time. But you'll find many people who try to tell you that nowadays the Christians are the real Jew. And we've replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology is a fancy term for it. Well, this verse debunks it because had the Christian replaced Israel, then the answer would have been yes. He did restore the kingdom because it would suddenly be spiritual. They're talking about a physical kingdom. And one day he will, but he didn't then. And that's what the Jew was looking for. Leviticus 26 Leviticus 26, verse 3. This is a promise Israel received as a nation. Leviticus 26, 3. He says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. Okay, no problem. <laughs> verse 4. Then will I. And then I'm going to skip through some of this. Then will I. Look at verse 11. And I will set my tabernacle among you. Okay, the place he stays at. <laughs> Where you be stays. <laughs> the place he lives, his tabernacle, is going to be among them. Now they've got little tabernacles out in the wilderness. They understand that. Verse 12. And I will walk among you. Now that's not spiritual or it would have been in you. Among you. And will be your God, and ye shall be my people. So they're looking forward to it all the way through. And amazingly, they held that faith. They kept thinking, hey, God's going to come back, and we're going to be number one. <laughs> There's the, the new great, um, you find these little phrases that are real indicative of uh, counterculture that's pushing an agenda. One of them is nationalists. They can't stand nationalists. That's stupid. You're either nationalist or you're globalist. The opposite of nationalist is globalist. Now, nobody's globalist either. That's for somebody who doesn't know any better. Somebody always runs the show. 
You better be nationalist, meaning that your nation is number one. Everybody should want their nation to be number one. If you give it up, then you're saying, I'm going to be globalist. I'll give it to whoever. Somebody's going to take it. The Antichrist will be here to get it soon. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 3. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It moved. He's come down. This is the fulfillment of what they've been longing for and been promised in the Old Testament. And it's been centuries, thousands of years. <laughs> and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The very thing he promised all the way back in Deuteronomy, it's fulfilled finally. Was that Deuteronomy? Is that where we were? Leviticus. <laughs> okay, look at it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. I'll get some hate mail on this. I've already gotten some. <laughs> on people who cannot stand Jews. It's satanic is what it is. Um... And people will just hate Jews as a nation. I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. Um, I'm not talking... I'm, that's not preaching salvation. Everybody needs to be saved. I don't care what nation you're from. You need salvation. But me just telling you both the history and the prophecy of the Jew doesn't have anything to do with salvation. That's just truth. <laughs> But people will get their feelings hurt over hearing about the Jews' eventual end. Here it is in Jeremiah 4, verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. That is, you won't leave this land. You'll be here. Well, obviously, that's not happened. Because <laughs> they've not come back and they've been removed many times. Verse 2. And thou shalt swear the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations, that is the rest of the world, shall bless themselves in him. And in him shall they glory. That's never happened. <laughs> you might have one nation do it for a time period here, or one over there do it for a small time period, but never have all the nations uh, glorify the Lord. And at that, here's the other qualification. At the time they do that, Israel's gathered in their land, and they're not removed. So that's obviously going to be a fulfillment for the millennium. And in that time, the nations are answering to the number one nation, Israel. Now, that's not a Christian. Christians aren't part of those nations. We're part of the ruling class. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai 2, verse 9. Haggai 2, verse 9. It says, The glory of this latter house, talking about the temple, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And, this, uh, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. <laughs> It ain't, it ain't right now. Go over there. 
the Jews, the Muslims, and somebody else. There's three of them that fight over the Temple Mount right now. That, that ain't a place of peace. <laughs> One day it will be. And it's going to be on earth, a specific spot. So it's literal, and it's for literal people, a literal nation, that are literally Jews. Not spiritual Jews, not replaced Jews, the real seed of David. Um, and the peace is, of course, going to be there in Jerusalem. But that's only after Israel has paid their dues, Daniel chapter 9, where he explains it, and when they ask for him. They've got to repent, they've got to be punished, <laughs> and they've got to look for him. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai 2 verse 7. still talking about Jerusalem and the temple as it's never been. <laughs> God speaking. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. A new iPhone? I don't know. What's the desire of all nations? <laughs> it's no desire all nations have right now. Well, he's going to have to shake them up before they get the right desire. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay, so he's going to shake them by coming back at Armageddon and killing those that don't have the right desire. And those that are left have the right desire. And then he brings in peace. Matthew 3. Matthew 3, verse 11. Matthew 3, verse 11, John the Baptist. Could you imagine if that was John the Sprinkler? We have sprinkler companies all over the world. <laughs> Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's how he shakes all nations, and he's going to do it. Um, there's a lot in that little phrase, and I've covered it at some point, so I'm not going to go back to it. But Joel chapter 2. Joel 2, verse 32. Here's what happens when he shakes the nations. Joel 2, 32. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm Joel 2, 30. Oh, yeah, Jonah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I get those mixed up, Joel and Jonah. I get a lot of things mixed up. I put, I put the title of the video last week as... Um, is Joel, part two, <laughs> instead of Jonah. Had to go back in and change it. <laughs> but now we are in the book of Joel. Joel 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. But there's a caveat. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Okay, that's him shaking those nations. 
the deliverer comes back to deliver his people. And that's where he becomes their deliverer. Uh, um, we've covered so many. Um, I'm not going to cover all these verses because I've got too many. Um, we'll go to Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, verse 27. The verses, you know, there's more verses on how he's going to win back this earth than there is on you getting salvation. It's, it's wild. See, God's excited about the day that he gets to reclaim everything as he intended it from the beginning. And that's where his excitement is. One day it's all going to be sinless again. There won't be any more Satan. And that's where the bulk of your Bible is aimed. Isaiah 30, verse 27. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from afar, burning with his anger. Put that on a Christmas card. <laughs> okay, this is how he shakes the nations. Drop down to 28. And his breath, as an overflowing stream, shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations. Hmm. He doesn't sift them with, um, with peace treaties. Verse 32. And in every place whether the, uh, where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps, and in battles of shaking will he fight with it. So he's coming back as the man of war, and that's how he produces peace. You know... Peace isn't cheap. We take liberty lightly because we haven't fought anything. My generation hasn't. We don't know anything about paying any prices for anything. So to us, it doesn't mean much. But in order to get earthly peace and liberty, it costs lives and it costs power and it costs a lot of struggle. It's not cheap. And to have true peace and righteousness... It ain't going to be cheap either. He's going to shake all nations all at once. Uh, Amos chapter 5. Amos 5 verse 15. Amos 5 Just the first little phrase of this is a great little... If you don't even memorize the whole verse, just memorize the first line. And this is a good one to critique yourself. And if you're real mean, you can critique your other people. <laughs> he says right here, Hate the evil and love the good. So ask yourself, is this evil or is this good? He didn't say there was any middle ground. Is it good? Well, it's neutral. No, it can't be neutral. It pushes one direction or the other. If you think it's neutral, it's not. It's probably wicked if you think it's neutral. If, it, if your mind says it's neutral, find a way to push it into good. <laughs> you know, eating. Is eating good or evil? Well, it depends. If you've already had enough to eat, you don't need to eat anymore. That could be evil. Okay, but you do need to eat to live. To have the strength to do something for God. 
Okay, so then eating is good. Okay, so find the, is it good or is it evil? And love one and hate the other. A Christian is supposed to hate certain things. Sorry to tell you that, but that's the way it is. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of, not the world, Joseph. Jewish again. This is a Jewish book for Jewish people. We have been given an exception to the whole Bible. This church age is something that nobody could have foreseen. And it was some special thing God did. And we got in. And I'm going to skip a whole section of that so we can finish up. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah 2 verse 10. This one only runs 15 pages. will be good. <laughs> We're almost done. Joel 2 verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah had never been so excited to hear God speak. <laughs> but you know when God says something, nature reacts. It has no choice. There is only one thing in nature, well maybe two things, outside of the devil, there's only one thing that tells God no when he speaks. That's a man. And why in the world he gives up the power to force us when he says something to actually do it. He leaves it up to us. I wouldn't be that gracious. <laughs> he says, uh, the Lord spake and the fish vomited Jonah. When God speaks, something happens. Now, we may not always see it, but it always happens. When God's word goes out, something comes back. In Jonah 1, look at verse 17. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Okay, if God can tell the whale to swallow him, he can also tell the whale, reverse it. <laughs> Kick it out. <laughs> and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know in creation, the creation was created because God said something. It says, and God said, let there be, and boom, there was. 